For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as in a cave. We invite you now to join us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle, Timothy O'Donnell, and Joseph Tomasian. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Joseph Tomasian, Tim O'Donnell, and Kent Blanford is uh, absent, so we are going to start us off. So, gentlemen, we have heard a lot about secularization. We've heard a lot about the world becoming more and more secular. And at the same time, we are on the Catholic cave. So the question is, are we still, as Catholic philosophers, relevant? Well, it depends on who you'd ask. You're right. <laughs> right. Are, are any I'd philosophers gen- relevant? Right. Well, yeah. Generally, no. Okay, yeah. generally, no. You know, some of the greatest philosophers I know are, are, are working at uh, some, some fantastic fast food chains. So re- relevant, I, hard to say, but, uh, but, but certainly useful in some context. Right. Well, I guess the, the underlying question there is kind of what makes Catholic philosophy stand out and why is it still useful? Um, yeah. You know, as as the world is is secularizing, and therefore the world of philosophy is secularizing to a certain extent. Um, how is it that that Catholics bring sort of a unique voice to the philosophical table? Well, let's define secularism before we begin. I think is 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 going to be one of the most important things. We 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 talk about this word secularization. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be secular? Well, the word. Secula means of the age, right? So to to secularize means to to be a person of the age, and I guess in in German uh, the phrase Zeitgeist comes to mind. So to be secular is is to be in the here and now, and 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 not to be in the longstanding traditions of of what has come prior. So uh, we would say progressive versus traditional. You know, traditional tradatio to drag from the past. Uh, so to be secular means to move away from that which we are pulling from the past, from our traditions, outside of tradition. So uh, to be secular means to be outside of that which we would hold to be valuable to us from the past, right? You know, that, that may be a useful definition coming from, I, I guess, a linguistic, um, philological standpoint. But the way secular is used today, it really is used to sort of oppose a religious standpoint, okay, right? Good. So you have, you have religious versus secular. I mean, that that's kind of the way contemporary usage of the word goes. Well, I'd say, yeah, that's a feature of secularization is, and it, to your point, Joseph, it's rejecting secular, to be secular is to reject a religious tradition. It's, mm. it's sort of throwing those off, and it has, it definitely has this kind of anti-religious, um, anti-religious, um, religion understood as say mainline religion so so would we say the secular is uh, standing juxtaposition to religious or would we say that it's a lack of religion i think i i would say well i don't think it's a lack of religion because i think religion when you when you vacate religion that void draws something to itself so you wind up having things like people are secular wind up whole when my conversations with them it, it with folks of um that are ident i'll say identify that way sure <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation that where that might lead but they've they've adopted it uh kind of um uh humanism right they've adopted sure. a kind of humanism a set of pr- they, everyone's operating with a set of principles and understandings you can't get away from prioritization around decision making what to do how to act you know we're 
we're acting persons, right? St. John Paul II, his his book, you know, so we're making choices. But I think secular definitely is a kind of, has one of its prominent features, to your point, Mark, is it, it casts, casts away or moves away from or is intentionally not religious right. in, and in, I, that, in an institutional sense. Yeah, and I, I think you're getting back to uh, what, what Joseph's original definition of is, you know, it's sort of the philosophy of the times. You know, it's the, the, the zeitgeist. So it's, it's not a, a complete, like, absence of religion. Um, you know, there, there are certain probably sets of beliefs and, and first principles that are involved in it that are informed by some sort of religious belief. Yeah, true. Um, so, you know, so, you know, a lot of people you talk to, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. So I think, you know, there's, there's sort of a, a recognition that there may be a higher authority, a recognition that there may be some moral claims that come from that higher authority on them, but it's certainly not anything that we would call Christian. Do you really think that uh, there would be a recognition if somebody were to identify as humanist or, and, and that's a word that we use here. I don't know that anybody in the secular society would say, yeah, I'm a humanist or and some may, however, but I, I think more than anything, they would not even have a starting point or a jumping off point from a religious or spiritual connotation. It would be that they find religion irrelevant. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. It's a good question about secular philosophy of how much of it sort of comes from that almost postmodern throneness, you right. know, that, that you know, right, right. we're going to start philosophizing from the here and now where we are, you know, our situation. We're not going to be starting necessarily from first principles. We're not going to be starting from any set of metaphysical um I guess baggage right. to, you know, but we're, we're going to start from the, the here and now and what I see, which, um, you know, I don't know if that sets it apart from Catholic philosophy, but it probably does. I would think so. I, I think one of the features or what it maybe, um, try to talk about is that I think when you're, when you're secular, you have a kind of, um, you've, you're, you're state, you're, you've, you're not participating in organized religion. So you're not going to church on Sunday. You're not going to synagogue on Friday. I, I don't think you're—I I think I think that's part of it. I don't—yeah, I, I, I think if you—because the secular space is a is a religiously institutional free space. That's, it's, I think it goes back to things like phrases like the separation of church and state. So if you, if you buy into that axiom that church and state should be separate, then the church is over there— I'm, if I'm secular, I'm over here. But, that, I that's think if, thing. Uh, but I think if you poll the the majority of church-going Christians that, that go regularly on a Sunday morning and you ask them, okay, so you know the the necessity of a separation of church and state, do you, do you believe that that's necessary and important? The vast majority of them would say yes. Right, but I'm saying someone who identifies as secular or a secular humanist is not going to be found in the pews on Sunday. Just to be clear, we understand that there is no phrase separation of church and state, right? In the First right. Amendment, it's the, the the federal government will not adopt any one religious view. And it was for the protection of those who are religious. religious. Right, right, yeah. right. right. Yeah. 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 It's but, in one of but, Jefferson's but letters. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think there's from. a secularization, maybe it's a softer secularization, that does encompass a lot of people that are religious. In other words, they're approach to the world, the way they see the world is informed by secular society. They may be religious, but, but who the, informs secular society? 
Right, and and the I guess traditions that, of uh, the well, the zeitgeist. I, right. I think that's you know the, the traditions of the zeitgeist are the, are the sort of secular, but it being a, a a stark contrast to somebody that is religious, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there's a lot of mixture in there, and I think there's a lot of secular people who also happen to go to church and be Christian, but their philosophy, the, the way they mm-hmm. approach the world, the way they live their lives, is informed by that secular zeitgeist. Okay. I, I wouldn't totally disagree with that in yeah. terms of there being a, a mix. I, I think the term I heard earlier was helpful. I think I think someone who's embraced secularism is, is operating, and maybe people kind of drift in that direction, through a kind of practical atheism. So there's a lot of people, so they act as if, I think you're talking about Joseph, people act as if God doesn't exist, sure. or God doesn't matter, God's irrelevant. That's, That's right. a kind of practical atheism. And there could be there can be plenty of people who are, say, church-going who fall into that camp. When I was talking about secularism, I saw people who say, no, I am secular I, on, on purpose, by choice. Right. That is how I'm organizing my life. And one of those fe- prominent features is that they're not going to be a part of organized or institutional religious ins- uh, uh, affiliations. So uh, the phrase zeitgeist is a German phrase. The translation is the spirit of the time. So in today's Wait parlance, a minute. Hold on there, buddy. Are you going to smuggle in one of the unholy three, like a Heidegger or a Hegel? <laughs> is that where you're no, going? No, Okay, no, a no, Kant. No, no. Okay, no, those are the unholy three. Yeah, we, we, I'm just, we, you know, we, my we spidey be, sense is tingling yeah, there, Joseph. We, we would get, we would be getting too far afield, but and I, I do want to bring it back to our original question. So we've identified uh, fundamentally what the nature of what it is to be secular, or at least we've presented several options of secularism and how we can use them in this conversation. So the question is, Catholic philosophy, right. is it relevant? How did it develop? And, and, and now that we're moving beyond, we're, we're in this sort of post-Christian age, where does Catholic philosophy go from here? Right, because, you know, you're running into more and more of the people that Tim was talking about, people that very much identify as, look, I am not Christian. I, I, I don't go to church. I, I, that's not my tradition. I, I am not Christian. I am something else. Um, I, I may be a humanist or I may be, you know, some sort of new age spiritualist, but I am not Christian. And that, that, Population, it's still a minority in the United States, which is good, but it's it's definitely oh, growing. It's, so. it's it's twenty nine percent. Yeah, exactly. It's twenty nine percent, and and Christianity, I I, I believe, is something like sixty three point some percent, and twenty one percent of those are, are are Roman Catholic or identify as Roman Catholic. To include C and E Catholics, right? So there's mm-hmm. more of these secular people that right. we're talking about that's than right. there are Catholics. That's right. So, um, but, but so as that is growing, the question is, yeah, what what do we as Catholics bring to the table that that's different from that secular philosophy? Um, you know, are we just you know basically do we all kind of still have the same philosophical commitments to a certain extent, but ours are just informed by the faith? Um, or is there something unique about a Catholic perspective philosophically, not, mm. not just bringing in theology, but philosophically that, you know, honestly, the rest of the world is kind of missing out on as they become more secular? Oh, I, I think one of the biggest forks in the road is, and before I get to even Catholic, I'll just say Christian philosophy is that makes it distinctive. It, the decisive, one of the 
probably the first decisive question one has to answer um, because so much is everything really rests on it. Does God exist? That's the question. It does God exist? And if you answer no, then your whole framework, your I'll, I'll use the term worldview, that gets kind of kicked around. We could define that a little bit. But your worldview is shaped by that decision. That's the fun. That for me, that's the starting question. Like, does God exist? Because everything rests on that. So if you get that answer wrong, then you're you're headed down a path. That uh, not that it excludes you from the good or understanding the, the true, the good, the beautiful, but it makes it extremely problematic, and you're susceptible to to pulling toward yourself all kinds of errors. But I guess if you're you're going through life and and you see a rose and you believe that the God created that rose versus you see a rose and you think that it came about through evolutionary forces. I mean, and I guess the two aren't exactly exclusive either, but you know, that rose came about through the natural processes solely of the universe. And there's not a God that had any part in that. How really is your reaction to that rose any different? Oh, it's, it's huge because then you're, you're in a kind of material, you're a materialist. Um, and you're, you, the way you describe it, I would say that person maybe is likely, likely subscribing to a kind of Darwinian evolution, which is false. So the, so the question I hear you asking is, what are the consequences of falsehood? Well, there's all kinds, including sin. Uh, so it's highly problematic. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about sort of that first sort of philosophical break. Um, What does it mean when we say that God exists and how does that really affect our entire worldview? We'll be right back here on The Catholic Cave. Welcome back once again to The Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell, Joseph Tomasian, and this is The Catholic Cave. And so we were talking about Catholic philosophy. Why is Catholic philosophy distinct Mm -hmm. from philosophical well, we were uh, going to talk. Secular philosophy, we were going right? to talk about it. We haven't gotten there yet. But. No, no, we no, we actually are because you brought up kind yeah. of the first little junction point there. Okay, yeah. That, that you know, as, Does as God Catholic exist? philosophers, we definitely are committed to the idea that God exists. Um, the the question is how fundamentally different does the world look, and also, I guess, related to that, you know, as as Catholic philosophers. How much do we, I, I guess, kind of look at, at atheist philosophy and just want to reject the whole thing versus how much do we approach it, um, you know, I guess the, along the lines of, of Augustine, you know, talking about spoiling the Egyptians, right? So he, you know, when he approached pagan philosophy, he used the analogy in the Bible of how as the, the Hebrews left Egypt, they took the, 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 the Egyptian gold with them. Um, so they, they, they spoiled the Egyptians to a certain extent and used and melted down and, and then eventually made an idol of it. But nonetheless, God allowed them to take the riches of Egypt with them for their own benefit. How much do we approach secular philosophy um, that way as, as Catholic philosophers versus how much do we look at the whole thing as sort of tainted because, well, it comes from a fundamental error where, you know, you're, you're saying God doesn't exist. So let's look at this from a historical chronological perspective. And so we have, we have the, the great, the great three, uh, Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. And then as the Christianization of at least the Western world developed, there are two particular schools of thought um, one is Augustinian and one is uh, Thomistic in, 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 in philosophy. 
And so when we look at the Augustinian Thomistic tradition of philosophy, what did that add to the corpus of philosophy that the the Socratic philosophers didn't? And, and the answer is revealed truth. And so uh, we, we, we look at the Socratic philosophers and they say they gave us this, this sort of paradigm of behavioral and, and, and virtuous um, mentality, this, this, this virtue ethic that, that we're moving towards with the highest being either the good or, uh, you know, the platonic form or, or, or whatever it may be. We have, we have since Christianized it with revealed truth and added, you know, the person of Jesus Christ being um, the highest good with the sacraments being the means by which we attain, or, or at least on this side of, of the beatific vision. When we move beyond a Christian ethos, when we, when we separate the highest good, the person of Jesus Christ, the beatific vision, uh, from, from the argument, there seems to be this regression back into a Socratic, um, a Socratic philosophy minus the acknowledgement of a particular good, where we get to more of utilitarian goods, plural, that which, uh, that which is going to benefit me, the individual, the most. And so I see this great divorce, not only from a Christian ethos within, within philosophy, but if we are to move back to, towards the sort of Socratic philosophy, separating that, divorcing it from the good itself, we have this multitude of philosophies, small p philosophies, uh, that really uh, are arbitrary and use an individual as a starting point, which is the fundamental nature of what secularism is. Well, I guess it depends on how that reversion happens, right? Because if you go back to Augustine's reaction to Plato, mm-hmm. right, and and to the the Platonists, which was positive, which was very positive, right? You know, basically he. He said, you know, Plato pretty much got the structure of the world, the way the world was constituted, what the world looked like philosophically. You know, he got all of that without the advent, I mean, without the the advantage of the revelation of Christ. So to a certain extent, what Augustine was saying is if you look back at Plato, and I think Thomas kind of said the same thing about Aristotle, if you look back, what these men had discovered was fundamentally true. What they didn't know was that the source of what they had discovered was the Christian God. Sure. It's, but nonetheless, it was true philosophy. They're I mean, pointing they, they, to the one. Right, exactly. knowing the one. And so, you know, when you talk about, okay, so in a secular age, we're sort of reverting back to Plato and Aristotle. You know, I think there's kind of two ways you you kind of go. And I think you talked about both of them. On the one hand, you revert back to a recognition of the true outlines of the universe. You, you retain the truth. You, mm-hmm. you retain the, the, the good. You retain what the universe actually looks like, but you sort of lose touch with the creator. On the flip side, you can go completely astray and you know go go the way of the sophists or go the way of of any number of of pagan philosophers that were well off the mark and and go towards your own utilitarian what's good for me is is you know what what's true um so you could go either way but 
if you go back towards, I guess, retaining a view of the truth, um, how, how, how badly does it get mangled when you lose sight of that source? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that most people who would identify or who we would uh, clump together as being secularists, um, I don't think they would have a, a full understanding of we use words like true, good and beautiful um, as being an absolute. Right. You know, if something is true, it is true. We our definition of truth is that which conforms to reality. And I think uh, I think people today could say, well, you know, my, per- my perception is, is my truth. My truth is my perception. And, and so it, it becomes an arbitrary starting point. And so when we talk about truth, goodness, and beauty, um, there are no longer these absolutes from which we can begin. And I think that's the problem when you divorce a, a Christian ethos and philosophy and it, and it gives way into a secularism. There are no absolutes, and there are no starting points, and it's all entirely arbitrary. This is the the sin of Adam and Eve, right? The, it, which was, they picked the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They took that uh, onto themselves, which was God's, and that is the right to decide what is good and what is evil. Now, and, and we have taken it on to ourselves and said, no, God is no longer the arbiter, so there are no absolutes. I am the arbiter of what is good and evil. Therefore, I define my reality. I define who I am. I define my, the world around me, and I can call a boy a girl, a girl a boy. I think that's the biggest consequence of what Tim was saying earlier, of you know the the, the first dividing line, I guess, between a secular philosophy versus a Catholic philosophy is that question if God exists. And I guess then the, the sort of first consequence of that is that, okay, if you say that God exists, then you're saying that there is an arbiter of truth that is prior to and above mankind. Right. Uh, if you don't have that recourse to God, if you just simply say, I, I'm, I'm agnostic, I don't know whether God exists, or, or I, I don't care, or I don't care, <laughs> right. or, it or, really makes no difference or, to me, or, 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 or no, you know, God is, God is nonsense. Right. Um, if you say that, then you become, mankind becomes the arbiter of what, what is true and false. There, there is no arbiter higher than mankind, right. and mankind becomes the measuring stick. <laughs> Except for the council, truth. you get, get together a council and they can decide what it is. Yeah, but, well, well, you know, that, that collective, that collective human spirit um yeah. you know plays the role of god to a good extent you're right but still it's still mankind that that becomes the arbiter of of truth or, or falsehood here's where i think in part and i just mean in part not the whole not, not to explain the whole thing but recently so think think about our uh go back a couple of years to to sort of the beginning of the pandemic and and link that to um sacred scripture where in sacred scripture, what's called out time and time again is humanity's greatest fear. It's death, because death meant annihilation. What does Christ save us from? He saves us from death and grants us what? Eternal life. So we don't have to fear death anymore. What, when the pandemic hit, think of, again, like early 2020, and what's what's been a ma- one of the main features of the pandemic is that it it really stirred up this fear of death and exposed that we have a fear of death, a fear of death such that we're willing to, we've been willing to do almost anything 
anything to ward off death as a result of it. So I think that's a, that's a kind of exposure um, to a consequence. Now, it's not limited to a secular, to, to, to uh, anyone with a secular perspective or, or, or worldview, but it, it touched on, for me, that feature of the pandemic, it touched on for me that death really is something we're, we're, we're terribly afraid of. And so without a Christian, uh, especially Catholic, understanding of the truths of things and, and eschatology of what comes next— then that fear of death is greatly exa- and fear drives us to do things we wouldn't normally do. So the person who's cornered is much more likely to do something out of desperation than they are if you're not. So I think that's I think that's one of the recent consequences. Help me, Secularization. Help me out here. Yeah. Uh, it's because it sounds to me as if um, you're saying, and 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 I don't know. So maybe you can elucidate this. It sounds to me as if you're saying, if 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 people were true Christians and if people had a true faith in God, we would not have behaved in a similar fashion at the beginning of the pandemic. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? I, yeah, I would say it would take, I, I think if, yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, would I think be, that's really dangerous. Dangerous for me to say that. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me why. Okay. So what you're saying is uh, if, if, if I just had enough faith in God, or, or if, if I was a real Christian, however that's defined, then my behaviors would have been different and I would not have locked myself away to protect myself from death. No, it's a, it's a matter of degrees and measures. So I, What's I, that I, mean? Yeah, and, and well, well yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, 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 I'll jump in here a, a little bit too. You know, I, I think that, that fear of, of death being sort of the, the defining... It almost becomes a defining categorical imperative if you don't believe in an afterlife, right? If if Mm. you don't believe that the soul is something that's eternal, that goes beyond life, then you have a a driving imperative to, above all else, preserve human life, whether it's your own or or whether it's it's collective. That doesn't Mm. necessarily mean reacting differently to the pandemic, but it does... does, it could though. That's what could. I'm saying. But that's yeah. that's what Tim is saying. Yeah. And if if we if we look at the you know the great Lutheran philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who 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 famously quipped that uh, we all have a repugnance to death because death is not natural. Death is not natural uh, to, to to the Christian because we recognize that um, we were never meant to die. And if that's indeed the case, we were never meant to die. We have this natural repugnance to death. Sure. Uh, so I, I just don't know that we can say a fear or lack of fear of death is is going to be what makes us Christian a good Christian versus a bad Christian. Well, well I, and I'm not using the terms good or bad Christian. I'm saying that there are tenets of the faith, to, to Mark's point. There are tenets of the, one of the tenets of the faith is that this isn't all there is. There are goods in this. There are goods in this life, and what comes next that are above. There are goods that are above, are more important than simply preservation of 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 this life. There are other things. So there are things worth dying for in this life. The pandemic, I think, at at times has features of it that created a kind of panic that exceeded what maybe if we if there if we had a, a better understanding of eschatology, okay. a deeper faith. We might not have gotten so panicked. 
Well, we're coming up on a break, and when we come back, we'll keep talking a little bit more about how our belief in an afterlife colors Catholic philosophy. You're listening to The Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to The Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle, here with Joseph Tomasian, Tim O'Donnell. We are talking about Catholic philosophy, what makes Catholic philosophy Catholic, and we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the Catholic belief in God right there, that sort of sets sets Catholic philosophy apart from a a secular philosophy. And then we were hitting on a second facet of it. And that is a recognition of sort of the, the immortality of the soul that if you believe that life continues after this life, there's a whole slew of metaphysical commitments that follow from that, that I would say Catholic philosophy holds that secular philosophy doesn't. Yeah. So I, I do want to add that in, within Stoicism, uh, which is a, a post-Socratic school of thought, with Marcus Aurelius being the uh, philosopher par excellence, there is a metaphysic within Stoicism that also rejects an afterlife as well. And, and so I, I, I think barring Stoicism, the, your statement is true, um, you know, if we remove sort of this this idea of of God from from revealed you know the revealed truths of God, then we can start talking about a, a secular philosophy. But I think within secular philosophy today, Stoicism plays a great part in it because it, first and foremost, it 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 does have its own system of metaphysics while rejecting the sort of uh, connotation of an afterlife. Yeah, I think that's I think you're exactly right that when you look at a definition of secular philosophy um, it is very stoic. It is. Um, when when you go out and... And I have a tendency towards it. Of in course. Some sense. Well, of course. You because, got a dog in the fight. Yeah, that's no, right. I mean, throughout the, well, throughout the Middle Ages, I mean, throughout the Middle Ages, um, you know, I think Stoicism was looked upon as kind of almost the most... That's what Christian. soldiers and warriors, they lived a stoic, metaphysical Christian experience. Exactly. And, and you looked at, uh, you know, the I think one of the most... Um, outside of the Bible, one of the most influential texts was Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy Precisely. throughout the Middle Ages, right. and and that is that is Stoicism it condensed is. in 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 and down. So it's you know taking from the thought of, of of Cicero, of Marcus Aurelius. These people were revered throughout the Middle Ages, etc. And still, and are still today. are today, yeah. exactly. And and so and and a lot of if you go through the self help section of Barnes and Noble, oh my gosh, it's um, full of Stoic material, it, exactly. So so I think that's a great sort of working definition of maybe a little bit more than just a, a rejection of God, but there's a rejection of God that has reverted back to, to sort of a stoicism. But um, looking at that, um, you know, they may they may hold a lot of similar views, yeah. but, but when you start looking at the composition of mankind, when you start looking at anthropology, what it is that, that makes a human being, if you sort of neglect, and I won't even say they reject, but they sort of neglect the immortality of the rational soul yes. that the, the Catholic, the Catholic philosophy holds you, you quickly, I think diverge. And, and I think we, we did a show on the common good a little while ago. And right. I think that's probably one of the biggest places where if, if the common good stems from the beatific vision, 
as is revealed through through the Catholic religion, right? So the high point of human humankind, what we are made for, what what the human being yeah. is, is is that that intellectual, not just contemplation, but union yes. with with Christ. Um, you know, I was I was reading somewhere that you know one of the upsides of that beatific vision that I don't think we think about a lot is that we actually will obtain two natures like Christ had that we become other Christs to a certain extent by having both a human and divine nature when we are so united with God in that beatific vision participatory by by participation but our nature as as human beings are going to be changed into that complete likeness of Christ so of, would of you having, say actualized actualized exactly yeah. yeah right so yeah using using kind of the more scholastic type but as you can see if that's the high point of of human existence if that's what our life is about right is mm. is reaching that that colors a lot in in ethics and and one of them is is the common good right so if you recognize that that is the highest good then this right. idea of okay so what do we need to sort of participate in commonly within society it can it becomes completely different um you're you're looking at a, a different set of commitments um and i don't and, know if we're looking at a different set of commitments I, I i think we're we're i think the tendency would be to use different vocabulary to talk about the same thing to sort of divorce a christian ethos from a secular ethos uh, but while still trying to accomplish the same thing, we use the phrase common good within the church because it's one of the you know, f- principles of Catholic social teaching. Uh, but we use common good as well in secular society to say, but it's got this sort of bland, generic, vanilla feel to it. What does the common good actually, we do this for the common good. Well, what is the common good? That's the good for everybody to live fully in participation within the citizenry. Right. And I think, you know, Jacques Maritain, I think developed this out a little bit yeah. that you've got two errors when you're looking at the common good um, from a secular standpoint. Right. So, so where, where Catholicism diverges from sort of that secular understanding of the common good goes back to the, the nature of mankind as having a immortal soul. Right. And from that, then you have what he says is, is sort of the, the good of the person yeah. as opposed to the good of an individual versus the good of a community. Right. Yeah. And so you, you can, you can steer on two sides of that, but the person yeah. is somebody who has sacrificed like followed the the example of Christ and sacrificed himself for the good of humanity. That's a person. Yeah, so, and so and from that then you you have a common good that looks entirely different from either the good of a community or the good of each individual part of that community. And I think you're looking at the two Catholic social doctrines, the first being subsidiarity and the, the other is solidarity. Subsidiarity means that the individual at the lowest level can make decisions based upon their own particular good and 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 solidarity is is the individual participating as a whole within society. And any society that that lacks subsidiarity is communistic. And any society that lacks subsidiarity is tyrannical. 
Okay, so you have these two different ends of the spectrum, and, and I think Maritan is saying if the individual and the collective cannot both participate towards the common good, you're either going to end up within a communistic state or a tyrannical state, and both of them we wholeheartedly reject. And, I, and, and, and within secular society, I, we see a lot of people saying, remove subsidiarity so that everybody can be equal. Which is socialism, right? We we hear that all the time today. You know, remove rights, take away the rights of the individuals for for so that everybody can be good. And on the other hand, we say no, no, no. You know, if 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 we if we have too many rights, uh, then this individualism is going to get way out of control. So either tyranny or communism is where we are. I think those are the two main schools of thought that exist within uh, secularism, and that's what happens when you divorce the Catholic philosophy uh, from from modern philosophy. Yeah, and I'm going to make a claim that is way out of my league to make. Uh, I will be right up front that oh, I'm going to make worry. this, and don't worry. We'll, we'll let you know. We'll, we'll let, let you know. You know. Go yeah. ahead. But Go I think ahead. I think that I think that same problem existed for the the pre-christian philosophers plato aristotle etc i think they i think they suffered from that same lack of understanding of all the, we did was give vocabulary to it i don't know i don't i don't think so i don't think we were just giving vocabulary to the thought of aristotle and, and plato no, I think, no 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 I'm, I'm saying these two schools of thought they, they certainly existed throughout time the only thing we did as uh, is is order them categorically yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I, I think you know, you know, Aristotle. I think you can make the the criticism that he is going to that, that if you follow the Nicomachean Ethics, you know, the high point of of ethical life is either the magnanimous man, right, yeah, in, yeah. In, in in book five there, right. or 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 it is the philosophical man. Those yeah. those are those two errors we were talking about, right? Either you've you've completely subsumed yourself to the community yeah. and and tried to make yourself the pinnacle of the community, or you have completely subsumed yourself to the individual and, and any undergrad any undergrad that reads the Nicomachean Ethics kind of intuits this. They see the, these two and they go, well, something's off about that, but they can't quite put their finger on it. But they both sound so good. They both sound so good, but they they both, I think... Which is sophomoric. Right, from from a Catholic perspective, they both commit that error. But yet you you remove yourself from, from the Catholic philosophical world, and I think you are left with that sort of either-or choice yeah. um, in, in the secular but age. But it doesn't have to be either-or, right? Well, I, I think it could be... I don't know. I've got I've got mixed feelings about that. I mean, when I when I think though about, um, you know, when I think about like the philosopher king, there is something really attractive, and there there's even been I think some examples where you have I'll take take like say Saint Saint Louis of France. Sure. You can have a king, or we can have, and we have had queens that are ruling over um, a Christian society. Sure. Well, then they're doing it well, right? And then, which is uh, not but, but that's hard to, right. which is not tyrannical, right. right? But, but the question is, did they rule over that society well because they were following their own sanctity? They were they were pursuing God. They were they were doing what God had told them to do in their place, or because they were trying to be magnanimous, the right. way that Aristotle laid it out. Were they just trying to be good people? You know, they're, they're basically <laughs> we're good all good, people, aren't we? Right? <laughs> 
Or, you're good. I'm good. Or, yeah, right. <laughs> or, 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 or where's your trophy? I the, brought mine. Yeah. Or, <laughs> the reality is when we look at these great kings and queens of the past, you know, the ones that we like Saint Isabella, um, who I, I, I had a, an opportunity to I was just at her tomb last week. Awesome. Now, w- when we talk about these beautiful kings and queens, it's because they specifically lived within the Catholic ethos um, and, and with a full a fuller understanding of what the common good is and how each individual plays a particular right. part. You know, right. it, it, the, the old adage, if we are made in God's likeness and image and God is a community of persons, father, son, and spirit, how much more godlike are we when we are in communion with one another? That's why the Catholic philosophy and theology makes all the difference to your, your question earlier, Mark. That's sure. So you look at like a queen Isabella, what's making the difference? The difference is that they, they, they love Christ and they want to be Christ-like. They're his disciple and they're striving to um, grow in holiness. They've got the church there to dispense his sacred gifts, the sacraments to us, and in cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So and then and then leading and making decisions to rule over society that leads towards a Catholic understanding of the common good. And that's a distinctive project and a distinctive aim different from what a a secular society is going to aim at. Well, we're coming up again on a break, so we will be right back with more on The Catholic Cave. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome to The Catholic Cave. Still in the cave, Joseph, Mark, myself, Tim, and we are talking Catholic philosophy. What is it? So in this last segment, I think it might be worthwhile to bring up this concept of free will because I think a Catholic understanding of free will is helpful, and I don't know that um, it the our understanding of free will extends or how far it might extend or be compatible or congruent with a secular understanding of free will. Mm-hmm. So let's bring that up. What do you think of that, Joseph? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you but, got that look on your face. Yeah, but like but, what? What? But yeah. you know, let's let, let's start off with okay. Why is free will? A Catholic belief, um, you know, why, or is it? Yeah, or is it? Mm-hmm. I mean, first off, I mean, okay. So I think eventually what we're going to say is free will is a distinctively Catholic belief, right? But even that question, but not exclusive, but not exclusively, but yeah. but um, well, I, I we we may go that direction that it is sort of exclusively and it's borrowed by by secular philosophy to a certain extent. But before we get there, um, I think it's a controversial statement to say that to be a good Catholic means you must believe in free will. Oh, I don't think that's controversial at all, and I'll tell you why. Here's what free will does: free will one, it it's an acknowledgement that it's a gift from God. It's part of our nature. And it means we have the capacity to choose between distinct alternatives, between choice A and choice B. The reason why that's important is because uh, the ability to choose, having free will, is um, creates responsibility, moral responsibility. So human beings can both reflect on past actions, things done or admitted, omitted. We can deliberate about what we're going to do. And the reason why that is so important, ultimately, I would say, is because uh, God is love, and we're called to love, and so we're lovers. And so if in order to love, if I don't have free will, I would say I'm not really loving. Well, you know, I think there's a couple of ways that I think you can still fall within the Catholic realm and 
really question a little bit of how much that loving um, sort of, to a certain extent, dictates this idea that the love originates from us, right? Um, you know, mm. if, if, if the love that we have does not originate from us, if the love that we have originates from God, how much of it is really our, our choice, right? Uh, or how much of this is God acting through us as, as human beings? I would say all of it. All of it is God acting through us, Correct. not not. And see that that's kind of exactly what I mean. That this idea that we are completely free individuals that somehow yes. stand outside of God's predestination, God's pre knowledge, God's omnipotence, His omniscience. Mm-hmm. That we stand outside that yep. as completely free individuals. That's not. I, I would say that's not uncontroversial. And. Uh, I do want to make a, a, a clarifying point. First and foremost, uh, we as, as as human beings who are made in God's likeness and image, that is rational and free. And so, when we talk about free, it's freedom to to choose, right? Freedom to to to, to make our our own decisions based upon our consciences and and our capabilities. But I also have to say, within that same context, that any good that we do, we only do by the grace of God. And so there's right. this there's this weird sort of Venn diagram that happens. So we can choose to do the good, but the good that we do is only because we participate within the grace of God. All evil that we do is our own choice outside of the participation of God's goodness, right? Outside of God's grace. And so for some people uh, who would ascribe to this sort of uh, predestination or, or the elect, um, they would say that that all the good that we do is 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 a gift for us to us because we are chosen by God to be able to do this, which is exactly a lack of free will. It's it's uh, I would argue, um, but when we talk about this gift of free will, you know, I think the great philosopher uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who sort of yeah, we love him, yeah, <laughs> sort of exemplified, you know, what is the gift to mortal man, and 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 it, it is the first the first gift is death, and the second gift is is a capacity to choose, right? So when we look at the angelic order, they had one and done choice of free will, that is to serve or to not serve. All right, and mm-hmm. and we can we can get into well. Who are they serving? And the answer is never God. You know, they have no choice but to serve God. They are his creatures. That's it, period. Now, if we look at the gift of man, we have the gift to be able to choose to not serve God and still at some point be able to come back into God's good graces and and, and to be with him uh, in paradise forever. And so the the idea of free will that we can choose is this double-edged sword, um, and it's beautiful and it's dangerous, but it is it is a gift. Right. Now, the question is, how exclusively Catholic is that understanding of humanity? I mean, I think if you did a poll of people on the street and you asked them, okay, do you believe that we've got the freedom to choose, to make choices, mm-hmm. to choose either good or to choose evil, um, they would all, I think, 
to a to a person, uh, except for maybe Sam Harris, they would all say. <laughs> and, and Sam Harris is a, a uh, he's a, a, a neuroscientist and and I would say brilliant philosopher of the yeah. secular mold. I mean, he's yeah. definitely he's secular. one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. Uh, okay, okay, let's not get too carried a feel. He, he, I don't know that I would call him evil. I would say that that he is uh, he, he's not fully. Developed in his well, he's an atheist. He's an atheist. He's an atheist. So he's, he's operating under faulty reason, but at least he's consistent within his right. reason. But he would he he definitely argues. I think he gives a, a fairly strong argument um, for this idea that no, we are completely preconditioned as, as sure. human beings, yeah. and, and and it is faulty, and, and based more oh, more yeah. more chronologically than biologically right so it's based on the circumstances of our life that we have no control over that then dictates our choices so um we we're just simply we we are made as human beings simply to we are the respondent automatons of evolution and biology exactly so um outside of somebody like that which i think is going to be a rarity in the general population most people believe in free will sure how much of that is like a, a vestige of Christian Catholic belief or how much of that is part of the secular philosophy? Well, I think, I think the problem comes in, in that, uh, yes, a lot, most people, the vast majority of people, I think are going to say, yeah, my experience, my personal experience is I have free will because I'm, I'm making choices all the time, make the choices to talk to you about free will. However, I often hold, um, if you're, if you're secular or an atheist, if you're, if you're holding to a kind of materialistic, view of things that the world is only is disenchanted and only is made up of stuff molecules atoms molecules and the human person is nothing more than a biochemical a sophisticated biochemical reaction that what's going on between my ears is a kind of brain fizz then someone like a sam so if you hold to that it's hard to see where free will it can take place because like sam sam harrison's argument as i understand it is this no one can control your own brain activity. Like you can't control what your neurons are doing and what, which synapses are firing. You you don't have any control over that. Every, so everything is kind of everything that looks like and feels like free will is just illusory because there's biochemical reactions that you have no control over and that are causing you to uh, feel or sense or you're conditioned to believe that you're choosing. You're really not implications of that so so that's the incompatibility between a strictly materialistic darwinian evolutionary um uh, account of of the world compared to say a uh free will understanding that ultimately joseph you're saying very very well ultimately our free will our ability to is a gift from god it emanates from god so all the good like you said all the good we do that's saint paul right all the good we do that's what comes from god and um so. so all the all the people then that would ascribe to free will say no mm-hmm. no I, I I choose my own actions right. I, d- I decide what I do sometimes I do good things sometimes I do bad things but that's that's on me whether whether I'm doing good or bad mm-hmm. all of those people somewhere along the lines which you're saying if if they're atheist agnostic, evolutionarily minded people mm-hmm. somewhere along the lines there is some sort of philosophical inconsistency that's kind of yeah, what you're saying that they're not interested in resolving like but, they wouldn't care about like why would they that's the practical atheist like i don't yeah i guess so i don't really care i don't give much thought to it i'm going back to netflix about 10 years ago and i'm not sure if you guys remember this uh there was a gentleman standing on a platform in in new york city small child had fallen between the gauge of uh the subway rail and um, 
African-American man, white boy, uh, he jumped into the gauge of the rail. The train came. Uh, he tossed the boy out. He laid over top of, of or in between the gauge. The train went over him. He survived. Okay. That's a brave man so, and a heroic man. But, but, but yeah, this idea of one's willingness to self-sacrifice for the good of somebody else mm-hmm. in the face of their imminent death. He jumped mm-hmm. in knowing he was going to die, but he wanted that boy to live, this perfect stranger, this idea of self-sacrifice, mm-hmm. the soldier that jumps on the grenade to save his comrades, okay? They all have free will. They all are biological entities. They all mm-hmm. are a product of the microevolutionary process that has occurred through our ancestors. If he, they, were simply these pre-programmed automatons who are who are engineered to self-preservation the idea of any kind of sacrifice would be an impossibility it would be a ludicrous thing instead we look at people's behaviors of self-sacrifice and say that is the highest form of good that one can do matter of fact mm-hmm. he who yeah. lays down his life for his brothers Right? I mean, right. it's part of our, our ethos, our hero ethos, not only within sacred scripture, but in the mythology of our American traditions. There is no way without a capacity for free will and an understanding of a higher good that sacrifice would have any merit whatsoever. And this is the scandal of the cross. This is why the cross culminates in, 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 in the ideas of, of not only a Catholic ethos, but free will and, and, and the afterlife. You bring all these three concepts together, and it points to self-sacrifice. And that's, that's the beauty of the cross. You know, it's the beauty of the cross, but it's also the beauty of Socrates' life. Um, you know, Socrates, it's a great, great example. You know, Socrates famously was a courageous warrior because he had no regard whatsoever for his own life. Um, you know, he saved the life of his friend, um, and, and was, was somewhat lauded for that. And then at the end of his life, he more or less, depending on, on how you read it, he more or less sacrificed his own life for the good of the Athenian community. Even though the Athenian community was was condemning him to death, he sacrificed himself so that the philosophy would would continue, etc. and 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 all of that. Now, he did believe in the immortality of the soul. Sure. So so there is that, you know, and he by his own natural light came to a recognition that no there there must be something immortal about reason and and my capacity for reason, but he wasn't Christian. He sure. didn't he didn't have the advent of or the advantage of recognizing the sacrifice of the cross. He came to this in a secular way. Um, you know, and I, I think a lot of secular philosophy looks back and, and admires Plato. So um, is this idea of free choice, free will, the ability to sacrifice ourselves, the, this, this heroic virtue, is it really truly Catholic or is that just, I guess, the result of, of reflection? We'll never know. <laughs> well, or, or we'll have to revisit this a little bit. I, right. But no, I, 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 think, there's, I think there's something that 
Christianity and Catholicism, they shine a light on the reason of what a lot of these more secular philosophers kind of realize by their own natural light. So I'm not sure that it's necessarily as strict a disjunction between Catholic you know, revelation versus secular philosophy. Sometimes we hit upon the same truths, but one of them has the advantage of revelation giving it to us. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up here on the Catholic Cave. A lot more could be said about that for sure. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. For Mark Tuttle, for Joseph Tomasian, for Timothy O'Donnell, God bless. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio India.